Natasha Amand. You're a fighter, a survivor, and a star. Thank you for the amazing opportunity. I'm truly grateful. Thank you to each and every one of you from the bottom of my heart. I never can say goodbye. So until we meet again, I'll just say sashay away. anybody to feel sad that Tanisha's going home. I was so worried about, are they gonna find out that I got an Austin? Is it gonna hold me back? Every competition, you don't have to win. Sometimes you just have to show up. And this is part of my legacy. This gave me the drive, determination that I needed to return back to the art form that I love. Going home is not a bad thing because I can go home and actually heal to get ready for All Stars. <laughs> I'm start working tomorrow. So whenever the call come, I'm ready. <laughs> Well, I uh, I definitely did not feel sad. I mean, I was sad to see Tamisha go, but I, I didn't feel sad because I felt like she left on such a joyous note that I was like, yeah, that's kind of the spirit of the competition is like, you can't win all of them. And so I felt like, you know, I'm going to listen to mom and I'm not going to be sad about it. You know, I'm going to trust mom's advice. There's this energy that she even brought to the ending where she was still the ultimate adult in the room where she was like, Nope, you're not going to be angry about this. Yep. I'm going to, I'm a bad B and you're going to see it. And you, you all know? saw it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you all saw it and you're still going to see it. Right. Cause I'm probably going to come back for all stars. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which I just love. I mean, this week saying goodbye to Tamisha. Yeah. Bittersweet, but um, you know, uh, people have to go home. I think Tamisha, you could see that, you know, if she, if she lost, she was okay with it. And I I think that that is a smart move when you leave the show. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think there's something to be said for like leaving on either leaving on a funny note or leaving on like a, a you know, I mean, it's interesting when we compare, you know, spoiler alert for I won't say who, but for who went home on Drag Race UK this this week at the same time, there was a similar feeling of like, it kind of feels like you're going on your own terms. And I think that's ultimately the through line is you're, you're going in some way on your own terms. And I think what I love the most about this exit is that it started with a hug with, you know, the kid who always acted up in the back of the classroom. Oh, I mean, this was finally after many long years, Mrs. Aman was retiring as history mm -hmm. teacher. Yes. And, she and Candy feuded for years, and finally, it's like Mrs. Amon, she's got her box, she's got her globe, you know, I don't know why she owns the globe, but uh, she's got her globe, she's got her plant, she's got her coffee mug, she's going out to her minivan, and Candy comes running out, Mrs. Amon, Mrs. Amon, I'm so sorry, and she's like, I know, I know, I know, Mrs. Amon knew. And this I just, I, I love, I feel like I've seen that scene in a movie and I don't know what movie it is, but, uh, <laughs> if there's just that, like, finally, uh, yeah, finally there's like that, uh, that what we, the love was there all along. She even hugs the kid that gave her trouble all year. Mm -hmm. And it, and that is a very much a Mrs. A mom mom energy well, yeah. <laughs> um yeah. i you know i was also getting like the storyline there's more to the storyline but before i go into 
Mrs. Amon leaving, um, you know, RuPaul Charles High or middle school um, and elementary school, K through eight. K through eight uh, primary. I, yeah. I do, I do want to introduce our fabulous contributor guest today. Uh, this is a Sarah Michelle Geller number one fan. This is host of the podcast Shut Up Evan, future book author and fabulous social media meme creator, Evan Ross Katz. Thank you both so much. I've said it off recording, but I want to say it on recording. This is the creme de la creme of podcasts, and it's such an honor to be here. Oh, thank you. Sister Mary, Evan Ross Katz, Michelle Geller. This, that is an honor, and <laughs> you are so welcome here. <laughs> uh, I love when a fellow Slayer joins the conversation, <laughs> for sure. Stronger together, yeah. <laughs> that's, that's right. Uh, so Mrs. Amon is moving away. You know, I, this when if I were to continue the storyline from last week about Mrs. Amon, I feel like, I don't know, Talk to me. Walk, help me Help me get through this fantasy. So every now and then, first of all, it could just be that Mrs. Amon needed to retire or that Mrs. Amon needed to go on maternity leave or she got another job. But let's say Mrs. Amon was also, she was like, you know, a mother in the town. Every now and then there was a mother that like, you would tell the kids like, oh, where did Mrs. Amon go? And it was like, oh, she went on a trip. And like she really got a divorce. Oh, so maybe Mrs. Amon, uh, they're saying, oh yeah, no, she's um, she's actually gonna take some time off. She's gonna go take care of her sister, yeah. you know, in in Santa Fe, and you know, she'll probably be back in a couple of years. We'll see. But really, yeah, no, really, they're just waiting for them to stop asking about. Her. Right. It's like, but yeah, and then eventually, you know, years later, it's like, yeah, so uh, how's how's um. You know, how's Shanice Amon doing? How's Tamisha's sister that she's been taking care of? How's she doing? I don't, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know. I've heard anything. Stop asking questions. Just go to bed. You know, yeah. the kids you're asking, you know? Where uh, are you with the storyline, uh, Evan Ross Katz? Where did, where, did, where did Mrs. Amon go? That's a good question. I feel like it's important that wherever she went, she is in a happy place. Mm -hmm. I think if anything yeah. taught us with that ending, um, with her outro to the episode and, and the season, it's that she's going out a, I, I was gonna say a better person than she came in, I don't even know if that's it so much as a more assured person than mm -hmm. she was. And, you know, where she goes, I will follow. You know, yeah. I, that's where I left off with. I'm not in, entirely sure where she's going, but I'm interested in the destination. Maybe she's like, she's been teaching at a school like in New York as I look out the window at the snow and she's not, and she's working at a public school. So she's making crap money. She's working, you know, the budgets are crap, but now she's like, yeah, I'm retiring. I'm done. But really she got a great gig at a charter school in Tampa where she's making like 30% more doing 20% less work with 80% better weather. You know, okay, she well, better bring that globe. That's, oh, that's what I care better, about. That globe gonna... better make its way to Tampa. Yeah. Well, yeah, and you know, so... and you know, she has a sign on in her classroom and in every classroom that she teaches in. And it's like a drawing of her that like one of her kids drew for her once. And next to it, it says, I said what I said. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> and she refers to it sometimes in her lessons. Like, mm -hmm. you know, if a kid is like, well, wait a second. I thought that so-and-so did so-and-so. And she just points to it. Yep. Because and she doesn't want to repeat herself. Back, she says, the lady said, and then she points again. <laughs> Which it's then gets confusing because she's saying yes. the lady said I said what I said, which <laughs> it's like, all right, Tamisha, with the, with the vocal warm ups. Um, 
so all that being said about uh, the the mysterious the mysterious exit of Mrs. Amon um, from K through eight primary um, feelings on the idea of Tamisha coming back for all stars is this kind of one of those like perfect like shoe in narratives like some queens you're like why are you back for all stars to me this is like the perfect reason to have all stars is have a queen like Tamisha back agree disagree. You know, I guess I have questions about how All-Stars will work moving forward in terms of if we'll start to get UK and Canada girls mm. on the American version. Because I have reason to believe, and I don't know anything that, that we all don't know. I'm just saying I have reason to believe that someone like Jimbo will make their way onto All-Stars. That feels very inevitable. Mm-hmm. So, And with that, I think it sort of changes the trajectory of All-Stars in a lot of ways. If it exists as we know it, yes. Absolutely, she is primed for All-Stars. I guess I would say, like, my personal preference, I just prefer when they pull from the well of the season one, season two, season three, season four girls. Mm. And I particularly like when a queen has an opportunity to do what Tatiana did in All-Stars 2 and say, you knew me as this thing, and let me reintroduce you to the person you thought you knew because you thought wrong. Mm, yeah, I, I get that. Like, there is something exciting about that narrative of, like, I don't know what to expect when you come back. Whereas other queens, you know, even Shea Coulee in All-Stars, you know, five. It was, like, All-Stars six? I don't know. What season of that was Five. Five? Was that five? Mm-hmm. Did six not happen yet? Six, six is not did not yet. happen. Yeah. What day is it? Um, But even then, I was, like, I, it's not that I knew what to expect, but I kind of knew what to expect. Like, I... I had a level of t- or a type of drag I expected or a perspective that I was expecting, whereas someone like, regardless of how, of how she did, India Farah, I had no idea what to expect. And so that was kind of exciting, at least. There's a difference between, if I'm going to make a comeback reference, because I have to, but so like, there's a difference between a give her another take moment, like a Blair St. Clair, or a this is my comeback moment, like mm-hmm. a Tatiana, or like my personal favorite that I want to see come back, a Jessica Wilde. Mm. Mm, yeah, yeah, and I definitely, I think there's something to be said about Tamisha coming back amongst more contemporaries because she entered the season being, and you guys have spoken about this, so much of like the older presence in the room. And I would be very curious to see her compete with people that were a little bit more of, I don't want to say her generation. I don't, I don't mean that in a condescending way at all. But just people that have been doing it as long as she's been doing it and that know the rigors of drag in mm-hmm. a way that I think Tamisha is the only one in that particular room that has that depth of experience. Yeah, like right. <clears throat> that was part of her narrative or part of her character in the season was, the you know, and, and the way she talked about the rest of the cast, they were all these babies and she was the older one. And so yeah. I think- Daycare, yeah. Yeah, yeah, daycare. <laughs> yeah. So it's like a Tamisha who is- with more contemporaries who's further along in her healing journey. It's like, that's a totally different Tamisha. Yeah. Like I don't want to see her against a GG good. Yeah. Yeah. Right. That's a, like that doesn't fit. Yeah. Crystal method. And, I mean, I would love to see crystal method and Tamisha have a show together, but I don't want to see them compete against each other. Yeah. 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 I have no idea what that show would be, but um, <laughs> you know, well, it would be something with puppets, right? We know that. Yeah. Uh, feathers. I don't know. Um, I love it. I, you know, Tamisha Aman, I, I'm glad she had this send off. I'm glad that she, 
made her mark on so many episodes when, you know, it should have probably only been three. Um, but instead it was many, many more than that. Five. What are we at? Six. Um, and I think that's great. Um, we got a lot about her story and her story is super important because she is a cancer survivor. She's of a different generation. She's a mother of many, many fabulous stars. She's seen a lot. She's been through a lot. And, and what she brought up on this episode is that she still has even other, and this is no pun, other baggage, right, mm -hmm. uh, to her performing, and yet she's still doing it. And I think promoting that story the way that this season did, did it properly. Even, you know, the fight with Candy aside, I think that also did better for Tamisha in the long run, but still, it, the... Yeah. You know what I mean? But the the idea is that Tamisha was not treated poorly like some other queens of Ivacious. If anything, I think the judges were resistant to to judging Tamisha and, and were, you know, kind of hesitant to like kind of being too tough on her. There was I mean, I we've talked in the past about like the kid gloves with Kim Chi. I think this is the most the judges have had kid gloves on with a contestant where it's like they for different reasons, but it was just like they it was almost like they felt bad saying anything critical about Tamisha, either because of her experience or what she's been through or whatever. Um, and so it was really telling when Michelle said, like, we have to critique her like anybody else on the stage. And I think that's um, it was interesting. I, I've never seen them. There's other queens. They're just so hard on. Um, and you Tamisha, just said hard on. Sorry. I did. I did. I'm sorry. You know, I uh, I heard it as I said it. Uh you know, if we were in Mrs. Amon's class right now, she would point at the thing on the wall right now. Uh, and so <laughs> and look at you, give you that look, that look in church, right? Yep, like, she'd give you that. You are in trouble in church. You're not going out to recess, Colin. Oh, I'll tell you that much. No, no, you're going to go clean the erasers in the basement. Yeah. <laughs> you go slap them out. Yeah, like right. a Queen's Gambit. Yeah, I was going to yeah. say, maybe learn some fucking chess with a janitor, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Um, <laughs> I'll show you my rook if you show me yours, Mary. Yeah. Um, well, regardless, I am so excited to jump into this disco-themed episode with our special guest, Evan Ross Katz. Before we do, Colin, will you tell our Marys what they're listening to? Yes. They are, of course, listening to another episode of All Right, Mary. All Right, Mary. All Right, Mary. Which is, of course, our beady, beady little podcast dedicated to all things draggy, queeny, campy, and queer. I'm Johnny and Padabore. And I'm Colin, uh, or as I'm also known, uh, Tina Burner's dogged commitment to the colors red and yellow. I'm loving it. <laughs> 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 I mean, I I love a queen with a theme, but at a certain point, it's like so you know, Mary, Marys and maybe even Evan. You can correct me if I'm wrong, but Tina Burner before she got on this show, her theme wasn't red and orange and yellow. That wasn't her thing. She branded for the show, right? Because her yeah, drag I mean, name. That... Oh, sorry, go ahead. No, I was gonna say that. That's definitely my awareness or what I see as well. And I just, I guess I'm wondering to what end, I think one of the interesting things, and I know, I think Johnny, you said, or both of you that you've seen Tina live and she can completely command a room and, and has so many talents, mm. none of which are on display yet in the season that we've seen so far. And this attempt to brand herself in this way 
is strange because I think she's a queen with so many obvious talents that I don't see like the need for branding, let alone something so off brand. Mm. It's yeah, it's uh, it's very interesting to me because, yeah, she she has done so much. Everybody knows. And most people who have gone to a drag show in New York have seen uh, Tina Burner in some capacity. And there's so much that she has done and can do. And it's not it's it's not about her looks and it's certainly not about yellow and red. So, yeah, it, yeah I don't know. Maybe it's it was in her, her contract <clears throat> like she is uh, in terms of Drag Race Queens. She is the one with the most unavoidable meth reference in her name. I mean, Crystal Method, they could work around it. Crystal on Drag Race UK, they could work around it. Um, but with Tina Burner, it was like, oh, we really, we're really gonna have to lean into the burner, honey. And so like, if you wanna wow. be on season 13, yeah. you need to complete, like Britta, we just had to cut her last name off. You, we need to like <laughs> cognitive dissonance, all of the gays watching this who know exactly what Tina Burner means. Yeah, put her and, in a Happy Meal, you know? Yeah, yeah, right, it was like, <laughs> I just I I I'm just not uh, I'm not I'm not buying it I'm not buying this uh, this narrative but I feel like she is just committing to it and frankly I know this is you know a wholesome family show but like I also in the sort of spirit of drag I don't mind that Tina Burner's name is a meth reference in that it make it's taboo it's uh it's it's dark it's making something light of something really dark it's making a reference to something very prevalent in the gay community. And I kind of feel like we're going to shame a drag queen for doing that. Like, like that's their whole fucking job, you know? Sure, and so sure. I don't mind that, but I, it's very clunky the way they're trying to rebrand it. Sharon needles, Mary. Hello. Great point. Great point. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. Maybe, maybe no pun intended. Maybe, <laughs> maybe, they, <laughs> maybe they didn't care. But anyway, before we go on and jump into this episode, talking about strays and flyaways, mean girls, Utica's feedback, that challenge, uh, we have to take a little break and we'll be right back. <laughs> this week on the All Right Mary Patreon. All right. I didn't expect Ginny to take the crown or to be swimming in Rupeters this season. I figured at some point Ginny's going to go, and I'm fine with it because it was on her terms. Like, I don't think of it as Ginny got eliminated. I feel like it was Ginny saying, you know what? I'm good. I don't need to do this. I still think Ronnie Ronnie just didn't do well. She just didn't do well. I'm going to place my bets that Tia Coffee is our narrator of the season. Oh, there's no question in my mind. Why isn't RuPaul branding Ellie Diamond, the other Scottish queen. And RuPaul did basically answer it. She's like, well, I haven't really gotten to know you. You know, I don't really know if I should brand you. I feel like your IMDb picture is an investment and I would choose a different one. But I I like, I'm not saying she's ugly. I'm just saying I would choose a different picture. To hear all that and more, go to patreon.com slash all right, all right, Mary. All right, Marys, let's get down to business, as they say. I don't know. Do they say that? Uh, let's talk about some strays and flyaways, some some uh, observations in general that you made about this episode. Evan, since you are a guest, would you like to start? Sure. I mean, can I get right into, like, the judging panel? Hell yeah. Anything you want. Okay. I mean, I think my biggest takeaway from this episode, and I had quite a few, but the one that stays top of mind for me was the judge's feedback for Utica 
that was not actually given to Utica. This is now at least the second time, maybe the third time, in which during the, the judging panel, internally, they discuss the fact that they want her to make less of these, you know, big facial expressions and reactions. Um, but then when she's spoken to on the runway, they don't communicate this to her. And I feel like it's difficult to watch her doing the same thing over and over again and getting dinged for it, but not being given the feedback to correct herself, as is so often the case. Because, you know, usually what we commend this show on, or what the girls get commended for, is that they are told something one week by the judges, they fix it the next week, and it's like, you listen. That is like something that is really qualitatively, uh, you know, given a lot of regard for on this show, the ability to listen and interpret feedback. If you're not given that feedback, I don't know how you improve upon what I don't, what I already don't feel is something that needs to be improved upon, but that's a different conversation. Mm. I, <clears throat> go ahead, Colin. Oh, I, was gonna say, I think it's a really interesting point, and I also feel like it would be such an interesting moment on the runway to say, Utica, why, why do you always make those faces? Like, there's a narrative there that I think is, is worth exploring. You know, I, 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 I have to, I have to say, to respond to any comment or question with I'm my earaches is something that I'm going to take away with me. I just think like mm -hmm. when in doubt, just tell people that you're your earrings. I'm my earrings. Yeah. <laughs> I'm my earrings. Yeah. Um, Evan, to your point, the, uh, this has happened before this, this has happened before it's the judges ask for something, but they're asking for it not to the queen's face. And it's more for the audience to understand why perhaps that queen didn't win or why mm -hmm. they did win, right? And, um, you know, there's another girl who did get feedback that we didn't hear, I think, this week um, because uh, that explained why she won this week. Um, and so I think there's a flip also with what the judges do. Sometimes they do give that feedback and they just don't show it. So I do wonder if Utica is getting that feedback and they're just not showing it and there's more time to show it when they're deliberating. Um, but you know, that's an assumption. Um, I, we have seen this before where it's, it, they, the, the judges talk about these queens behind their backs and expect them to change. Uh, and, it, you know, it's, I don't know, it's not fair, as they say. Well, and it kind of creates a situation where people who are watching the episode are watching it as if, like, you know, as if, didn't they watch the episode? Didn't they watch the episode last week? How do they not know what the judges are mm. saying? And it's like, no, this is all happening in separate rooms at separate sure. times. Yeah. Sure. Um, I, uh, I have, uh, maybe on the unpopular opinions last week, but I had, I feel similarly to you, Evan, that I don't necessarily mind the facial expressions. I understand maybe what Rue is saying, but that's if you want a certain experience on the runway. I think the camp faces and all, and like there's a dissonance between RuPaul saying, don't take anything too seriously. And then saying, well, it just seems like Utica's making a joke of everything. And I think that's very, I don't, I don't understand that. Nina Bonina Brown finger, yep, right? Yeah, Nina Bonina Brown at the reunion right now, yes. Totally. The, the idea of, like, a RuPaul being like, everything is so precious. It's like, well, it, you know, is, is disco too precious? Right. Why can't she camp this up? This is her lens. And so when you're praising a queen like Simone for having such a specific lens whenever she walks down the runway, and Got Mick for having a specific lens whenever she walks down the runway, why can't Utica's lens be nothing is precious and I'm going to keep camping it up because mm -hmm. I'm that bitch. Right. And I, 
and they had the Studio 54 section. And like, granted, I've never been to Studio 54. I mean, I've been to the Roundabout Theater, so you know, I've been to Studio 54. But I, you know, uh... you've never been to 54 Below. I guess it's not 54, oh, but no, I've never, I have not. Um, okay. But in any event, I. Uh, I have seen the E! True Hollywood story about Studio 54, so I know some things. Then you'd and, have been there. <laughs> yeah, but I might as well have been there. That's I saw so Nev good. Campbell at Studio 54, so. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, if you could read my mind, you would know that I don't know very much about Studio 54, but. If you could read. Sorry, go ahead. <laughs> but I also feel like from what I know from all of those sources, um, according to all sources, uh there was some wackiness that went on at Studio 54. Wasn't there wasn't there pictures of someone on a horse? Like, I feel like there was, yeah, there was a lot of, like, fashion and, and you know, kind of all the glitz and the glam and, and Halston and all that shit. But, like, there was also, like, people doing drugs and, and Andy Warhol and, like, people kind of, like, just living their fantasy. And I kind of feel like you can make the argument of, like, isn't Utica just living her fucking fantasy in Studio 54? Yeah, I mean, I think there's, there's definitely a, a couple of, tropes like feedback tropes that have emerged over the years and i think one of them that is the is in line with what utica is sort of receiving is the sort of like that thing that you do i don't have a problem with it at all i just want you to do more or something else which i always think is such a confusing piece of feedback because it's like again with what you were saying johnny it's like why can't you just have a thing that you do really well and you excel at kind of like what tina's trying to do with her current branding it's confusing to receive feedback that seems like feedback just for feedback's sake, which is mm -hmm. like, you're doing good, but I have to give you feedback. So try doing something else and do it good as well, which like is a good challenge to give to someone. It's not that it's not valid, but it kind of makes it from a critical standpoint, from the judging standpoint, it makes you say, I would internalize that as, oh, so the thing that I do well, it must not be working on some level, right? Cause you're wanting something else. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that's the actual intent of their feedback. But it's just kind of like these tropes of like, I need you go take the thing that you do, stuff it away for next week and do something totally out of your comfort zone, which mm -hmm. seems more like, you know, for the production of the show than it does to really make the queen a better drag queen. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that we just saw that on Drag Race UK with Ginny Lemon, where it was like, <clears throat> do something totally different this week. Go totally outside your element and outside your comfort zone. And and it it was I think that's a good point. At the end of the day, it was like it was from from the the Ginny narrative. It was like it was great to see her take the challenge on, regardless of how successful it was. But from like the competition standpoint, is like, is this making Ginny a better drag queen, or is this just giving us like a Gonzo runway this week? You know? Sure, sure. I mean, and I, I we could go back to a Derek Barry, right, with the eyebrows. I was just, right? yep. Mm -hmm. Big example, big, uh, probably the biggest example of a queen that like took her up on that offer, right? Um, Max mm -hmm. as well with the the silver hair mm -hmm. did it and then went home, right? Like it's when, when you finally take that risk, either you get the points or you don't. And it's, it's always so subjective. And I feel like because it's a reality show, that's when it, it clashes with the competition. It's like, do you take their feedback or do you right. do you even better, right? Right. And it's interesting, too, when you have, you know, comparing Derek to Utica, Derek is someone who was not very beloved by the fan base. So when he was being told to try something new, I don't think the fans really felt any kind of way about it. But mm -hmm. there is a really strong group of Utica fans out there. I think Utica and Simone seem to have, like, the loudest fan bases. And so I think that 
when you have these moments that take place with Utica because the fandom is shaking the table, and rightfully so, in my opinion, you know, there are people still angry about the the uh, sleeping bag runway not winning last week. I mean, yeah. some of us hold on to that. And, uh, <laughs> and so seeing again this week, it's just kind of like you, you start to you feel a certain way because you have an investment in the queen. So when the queen's being told, hey, I want you to do something different, you as a person feel in a sense, or I should say, I feel sometimes it's like, well, what's wrong with, what's wrong with me the way I am now? Mm -hmm. Yeah, know? and the thing I love, yeah. Yeah. The the question I have, because we've seen this, we have seen this happen a lot of times. Dusty Dots, sorry, I just want to get that one in there too. Yeah, well, and so is is there an example, or who is the example of the queen who took on the challenge of change your look, change your costume, change it around, you know, <laughs> change up your whole aesthetic, give us something new in the runway next week, and then they and they succeed. Like, who's the success story of this of this advice? I don't know. I don't. You know? Yeah, I don't either. I, I don't know. Not to put anyone on the spot, but I I'm not sure I can think of anyone who was like, okay, you're right. I'm gonna just forget my gig and do something totally different this week, and then they're like, yes. Okay. Well. Okay. Here's an example of 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 a narrative that they showed that it worked, but like it really wasn't, is Courtney act act looking ugly or looking messy. Now, my argument is in that finale, or it was like top four where she had to like, you know, get crazy in the dressing room or whatever and look mm -hmm. bad. She didn't look ugly, but right. they, they yeah. were like, no, you did. You did. Oh, wow. You really went there. And it's like, well, no, she, she didn't. She had a straw in her hair, <laughs> you know? <clears throat> If that's all it takes, I've been doing that for years. I have a years. rod in my back. You have a rod in my back, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, and even then, I never saw, like, that transformation happen. I feel like that was the same thing with Chad Michael. Chad Michaels of, like, oh, get messy. And then Chad Michaels came out looking like, I don't know, um, not messy. Um, mm -hmm. You know, like, just, you know, just chose a, a darker theme, but we still, everything was in place. And I feel like Courtney... It was like, yeah, you put a straw in your hair and you got your 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 fake glasses on cockeyed, but like, that's not what they're looking for. And so I just haven't seen. And Mary's listening. Correct me where I'm wrong. Um, who who took this on and succeeded? Yeah, you know, it reminds me of Rose because Rose is getting this edit of RuPaul being like, "Don't be perfect. Don't be pretty. Mm -hmm. You're too perfect. You don't have a husband, right? Yeah, you don't have a husband. Yeah, you don't <laughs> Sorry. have a narrative yet. Yeah, you don't have a narrative exactly. Or your yeah. narrative is that you are boring because you're perfect, right? And Denali, you're an ice skater, right? Anyway, right. she. You were um... on a cruise ship. <laughs> so, but I wonder if we're gonna see Rose kind of get messy and get unperfect, and and the show is going to paint it as. See, look. Can I do it? I guess my question is just like, I don't interpret Rose as anything close to perfect. Mm. So the idea that I'm being told she's struggling because it's too perfect, again, I, as like the viewer, I'm just kind of like, show me perfect. I've seen you be good. I'm not, and this isn't like, I'm not dismissing her drive right. at all. No, I I'm just saying that like the narrative that's being again told to us, and this is a through line that exists on the show always, but is really apparent in this episode, which is like the thing you're telling me, I'm not only not seeing it, but I'm seeing quite the opposite. And so it starts to make me wonder, typically I'm deferential and we'll just kind of say, I'm crazy. 
Mm -hmm. But when it happens so many times in the episode with like the feedback that the queen is getting compared to what I saw, um, when it happens so many times or when the queen that's in the top, I think should be in the bottom and the one of the queens that's in the bottom, I think was in the top. When that starts to happen, it, 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 it confuses me greatly. Um, and I just definitely think when it comes to Rosé, I'm getting nothing i'm very middle of the road on her so the idea that like she's struggling to not be perfect um just feels like a very forced narrative mm. <clears throat> it also feel, <clears throat> feels a bit like you know it, it's kind of a there's there's a humble brag quality to it like yes there, there's like a there's a bit from the office where michael fox <laughs> michael scott's like um, yeah, do I sometimes, you know, sing too beautifully in the shower? Like, do I give to charity too much? Yeah, sure. Do I occasionally hit somebody with my car? Yeah. And I feel like that's what this is, is like, oh my God, it's just like, I'm just struggling. Like all of my looks are perfect and I'm, and my, and my choreography is great and my face is always beat. And like, I'm just having like a real hard time with that. And I'm just like, oh I'm having a hard time with that rosé. And I and I think what it is, is like, it's not that her looks aren't strong. It's not that she, I mean, I think this week in the challenge is a great example. I think rosé and Denali, you know, yeah, they technically were really strong, but I didn't get any personality. I didn't get any nuance. I didn't get any, like, anything between the lines. I was just getting like, oh, look, you nailed all the choreography. And and I think that's been the running thing with rosé is like, all the stuff that makes you me, like, fall in love with you or connect with you I'm never seeing, I'm just seeing like, you know, you telling me how great you are, you know? I also oh, wonder, yeah. I also just wonder like, was that choreography that hard? I mean, I, I watched it twice cause I was, I, I was, I was told it was so hard. I saw mm. the fan kick. Um, but besides <laughs> that, I saw the fan kick and it was fine. <laughs> but I, I guess I just was sort of wondering uh, if it was that hard and then also not to tangent, but I guess I just wonder too, it's like, should should people be getting harder choreography than other people? Or should everyone be giving be given a challenge that is of equal difficulty so that we can really see who is good and who is bad? There's the argument that, you know, not everyone here is dancers. And so that's a reason why we wouldn't, but I just need a little bit more explanation as to how we divvy out who gets what, because as we see on this show often and on the UK one, it's like, certain times performers are given the option to do the thing that they excel at best. And then other times they're sort of relegated to a bit part or to doing something outside of their comfort zone, like a Ronnie green. And you mm -hmm. see what happens. Yeah. yeah. I, I mean, I gotta say, I, I, what I've seen is that oftentimes the choreographers will create the choreography to make the queen look the best that they can be. And there's one exception and that's BB in the finale. Yes. <laughs> that's yes. the only exception that I've seen this not go as planned. And they showed it, which was so shady those that they showed it. Kicking. Those little <laughs> swimming for her life. Uh, um, swimming from season one. Yeah. I, you know, uh, but, but Evan, I, I do think that they, that it's, uh, it's to make sure that the Queens excel. And I like that more than seeing everybody getting the same level um, because yeah, then we do, it, it, I do want to see beach balls being thrown to some Queens and I want to see if they miss. And in this case, I mean, there are people that are like Denali was robbed. Right. And, and that's, uh, that's what they saw and that's fine. 
<laughs> and, and and your your face says a lot, Evan. <laughs> well, the the survivor watcher in me is saying, wouldn't you come into the show then and be like, I'm a shit dancer, and so they give you the easy choreographer choreography and then excel. I mean, like I agree with what you're saying completely, but now that we're 13 seasons in, is there a version where you can play into these sort of this idea of the how not everyone is being graded equally and kind of say. I'm not, I don't do this well, I do this well, so that you're given easier choreography and then can flourish. Um, again, maybe I'm like reading really into it, but yeah. I do just kind of wonder if there's an advantage then to coming in and, and, and playing the part of someone who's not good at things that you are later going to be incredibly good at and just shock everyone with how good you are. Right, like Ben de la Creme in accents. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's interesting, like having that strategy, because I think it's almost like it's so counter to the way these queens do come into the competition of like, I'm an amazing dancer and I've been doing this and I'm doing this for 20 years, whatever, 10 years. And it's like, you know, and we've, we've seen this where like, you know, even back to like season, uh, season three with the, you know, the seeing challenge with Jujubee where it was like, um, season three, season two, I, I don't two. know. I, two. I, I always do that. I'm like, no, it was two. Anyway. Have till two to pay it. Tell him we have till two to pay it. Sorry. What's that from? Best in show. Sorry. Oh, right. Right, 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 right. Sorry. Um, but you go back to season two, and it's like the classic narrative of Juju B. They have the singing challenge. She's like, oh, you know, I can carry a note or whatever she says. Stop it. <laughs> I can carry. I can hold a note. Uh, and then just bombs. And Drag Race, like, loves that narrative of, like, yeah. you know, showing this queen coming in you know, with a full deck of cards ready to play. And then it's just like 52 pick up on the runway. And they love that. <laughs> so. Um, I'd love to change gears a little bit. Talk about another kind of strain flyaway here. Uh, the Mean Girls title. Um, Tina was, is quoted on the episode that's saying like, drag queens are supposed to be outspoken and loud. Call us Mean Girls if you want. And so we'll just take that title. You know, online, Colin, unfortunately, the fandom did not uh, adopt your, what is it, Candy Got Burner. Oh, yeah. Got Candy Turner. I think I <laughs> thought of a better one anyway. I think. Um, well, uh, the one online is Kugona. Kugona? Oh, Kugona. I think I thought of like, um, uh, what was it, Tina McMuse? Or, you know, Tina McBurner? No, Tina Mc. Tina McMuse, I think that's what I thought. That was Tina the only McMuse. option. Sure, but um, the, but Kagona seems to be the one that the the queens are even um, Kogona? embracing. Kagona, K A G O N A. Sounds Kogona. like a, it sounds like a new area of Manhattan that they're rebranding so they can oh, raise the real estate prices. Yeah. Oh yeah, I'm up in Kagona now. Isn't mm. that just Harlem? No, it's Kagona. I love Kagona. It's where all the mean gays hang out. Yeah. Oh yeah, Kagona. Yeah. <laughs> of West Hollywood. Sorry. So mean Boxers girls. Kogona. So this little this little click. Um, we know what Drag Race does with clicks. I'm curious why these three queens. I think it's great that they're all friends and and it's it's actually really really cute and sweet. But why they're branding it this way when they know what happens when you brand it this way. Good. Yeah, I was just gonna say, um, I, there's something to be said about the the name choice, right? It's the idea of them going with the literal lowest hanging fruit of reference possible. Yeah, and I think that is indicative of what's going on here, which is this sort of idea that we're going to take this thing. It's easy. We all get along. We're a little bit bitchy. We'll be the mean gays. But I think the fact that Tina made the attempt at a joke, which was uh, watch out, dream girls, 
were the mean girls or something or, or so yep. I, I just was mm-hmm. like first of all you're gonna tell the dream girls to step aside like you better come through with something big in the wings if you're gonna push them off the stage i just was like if you want to be called the mean girls give me a moment of you three in the workroom devouring somebody you know mm. if you can if you can do it i'm here for it give me a violet tchotchke on the pit stop you know mm-hmm. but there's no example of them being mean girls at all besides the moment between candy and samisha which very much feels like a one-on-one it did not feel like a pile-on and so i guess it just all of that show don't tell kind of left me wondering like okay, you feel you're the mean, you know, I'm going to do the reference that you guys love on the show, but it's the comeback reference of the show me Valerie. <laughs> and it's like, what are those show me. Yeah. And it's you like, me. it's that moment, which is like, I'm all for mean gay people representation on television, but I, if you're going to do it, like burn the house down. Mm-hmm. And right now it just feels like we barely got a flame going. Yeah. We've lit the Yankee candle and we're waiting. Yeah. 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 And, I'm it like, stinks. yeah and it stinks. And I'm like, <laughs> Sort of smells like popcorn. Yeah, yeah, sort of. Yeah, a little bit. Let's make some popcorn and just cut to the chase. Yeah, I uh, I agree. That's a great point is like besides the conflict between Tamisha and Candy, which is totally separate from this trio, um, there's there's been no mean girls um, behavior happening. And, it, and I think I totally agree that it's the lowest hanging fruit. I almost like rolled my eyes at how uncreative it was. It was like, oh, God, like this is. This is such a tired choice to just say, oh, we're the mean girls, to not even have a pun. You know, at least Rolaska Talks had a had a, a portmanteau, for God's sake, you know? So, yeah, I it, I just don't, uh, I don't, it, it feels a lot like Tina's rebranding of herself as this, like, fire queen. It's just like, okay, I guess, but, like, I'm not seeing it. Uh, any other, uh, observations, Colin, anything, uh, that, that struck you this episode? Um, I mean, I, you know, as I, as I put on my reading glasses, I, I do want to just say in terms of the mini challenge, I love that we finally got the image of Lala as truly the pizza queen. So that, uh, that felt important to me. Um, I mean, it, I was waiting for Simone. She did easy breezy, beautiful pizza girl, which was great. And then I would have been like, she's a pizza queen. Well, that's what I queen. was waiting for. And I was like, oh my God, if that happens, like they listen. <laughs> yeah. I don't know whether I should dive out my window or just wait by the phone, but uh, I don't know why those are my options, but, uh, I also, well, you're a gay man in your thirties and you're single. Of course you're going to yeah, wait so by the phone. Yeah. So it's pretty much, those are pretty much, yeah. yeah, that's pretty much it. Yeah. Um, or order Thai food. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I think other strays and flyaways, I guess I just want to say as, as a um, a native of New Jersey, I deeply appreciated Michelle referring to Elliot as Real Housewives of Paramus. I feel like doing yeah. Drag Race UK right now, there's so many like deeply regional references that I'm just mm. a total boob about. And, and I know there are people who are watching that, getting those references the way I'm getting <clears throat> how fucking spot on the Real Housewives of Paramus is as a reference to Elliot's look. Spot on. Spot on. She eats at Mara's in downtown Ridgewood. Like, there's no question. She, I I just, I love that about that look. And that's the only thing I loved about that look is Michelle's commentary on it. Right. Mm -hmm. Once I saw it in that lens, I loved it. Because I was like, yes, like that's, I mean, I mean, the thing is like, you know, I think it's obscenely obvious in this podcast right now that I love mom drag. And Mm. between like that and like 
Tina Burner's mom hair on the runway. I mm. just I just wanted a fleet of minivans just circling me, driven by these queens, you know? Um, I think a stray flyaway from me is uh, M- Miguel saying, Padabore, Padabore, because whenever I hear that phrase, I think of center stage only and mm-hmm. Cooper Nielsen. That's the only thing. Colin, I don't know if you get that reference. I've only seen the ending that makes no sense in the limits of space and time. Yeah, I know that much is true. Uh, I was like, where did that set change come from? How is she in a new leotard? And now there's a motorcycle on stage. And, you know, and Deborah Monk. Like, what are we doing? (laughs) 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 Well, and and uh, and we and we love her. uh, Donna. um, Yeah. Donna Murphy. uh, Yeah. Donna Murphy's in that movie, too. And Peter Gallagher. It's like there's like some heavy hitters in that film. Yeah. It's 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 a matron waiting to happen for sure. Uh, That was another uh, straight flyaway. You know, in terms of anything else, uh, did you notice anything, Evan? No, I have larger thoughts about uh, the season, but not not specific things within the episode. Okay, this might um, be if you yeah. don't might could maybe this could be a, a bit of a we talked about this a little before the episode, like references and disco and you know expecting the queens to know Charles Nelson Riley, and I I feel like a to just to kind of steer the focus to maybe disco for a second uh i'd love to pull the room on favorite disco songs if if you were approached by rupaul at the table and it's like you know you had to show your you had to show that you knew the challenge so you were prepared what would be the disco song that you would name what do you think ladies first i would for sure go with the pointer sisters send him back i just feel like that is one of my ultimate favorite songs and let alone disco i i don't think i know send him back i know uh, the Neutron Dance, and I know Jump, but I don't know Set Him Back. So for anyone listening, there's a, it's called the Paluski Remix. It's on YouTube of Send Him Back. Um, it is absolutely, I, I just highly recommend it. It's like 90 minutes long, and it just really takes you there. I love it. Okay, done. Uh, you know, there's a bunch. I think, well, does I'm Every Woman count? That's got to count. Uh, right? That's Disco. I'm Every Woman, Chaka Khan. Sure, sure. I'll okay. I'll say because it's Shaka Khan, we'll say yes. Okay. Uh, obviously, don't leave me this way. I just think that's. I love that. That song. is one of the gayest songs I know. I know there's many others like, mm-hmm. uh, you know, uh, village people and stuff. Um, if I were to pick one, I mean, Colin, I know you hate shake your groove thing. Um, <laughs> yes, I do. Which is fine. Yes, I do. Um, you know, give me any Donna Summer. Give me hot stuff. Okay. All right. I was gonna say, um, no more tears, Barbara and Donna Summer. Mm-hmm. I feel like is quintessential. Right. Ugh. Yeah, that's the Reese's peanut butter cup of disco songs because you're getting all the flavors together <laughs> yep. in one. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Um, one of my first, like, when I was a kid, songs that I ever noticed, like, I remember being in the car and and hearing, um, "Ring My Bell" by Anita Ward on the radio, and just mm-hmm. being like, oh. Oh, I love like this. I don't know what this is, but I know I love it. And it was like setting a template for like melodies that I would appreciate. And so I love that song. I love Don't Leave Me This Way. And I didn't know if ABBA could be considered, you know, disco, but whatever we can. I mean, I think it is, but I think ABBA is. I am one of those people who firmly believes that like, I think I heard somewhere you could take an ABBA part of song. You could take, let's try that. Let's try that again. You could take an ABBA song apart and you couldn't put it back together in a more perfect way than they already had. Mm. And I don't know sort of the math of that, but I just love the concept of that. You know what I mean? 
I just I don't need that to be challenged. I'm like, whatever that means, I'm going to agree, you know? My hope is like when they have episodes that are focused like on a specific topic like this, my hope is that the fandom and particularly the young fandom use this as an opportunity to dive in and and educate themselves about disco. And my hope would be that any future queen wanting to to be on this show would, you know, say, okay, this is a genre I need to educate myself on at the very least in case RuPaul asks in the workroom. Mm -hmm. Um, So my hope is that though, I don't know if this episode completely gave me like the disco 101 event that it was hoping to be. I do think it can facilitate deeper dives into the genre and the impact of disco. That's like one thing I think that this show is really, really good for consistently. Do you think that RuPaul's kind of performed outrage? Because I do think it was performed uh, throughout the episode about how these these kids just don't remember disco. Do you think that that is a part of the educational kind of push? or Because I don't know what it was. There was something about her performed outrage that I didn't love this time. And I normally love it. But this time I didn't really like it. and Because it just felt so... Uh, finger waggy to me. I mean, I I think it raises a question that we talked about a couple weeks ago with CJ, and I think it's coming up again here. Are what are the references you're supposed to know? You know, mm-hmm. like I think that I don't remember what it was we were talking about with him. I guess it was like mommy dearest references. It was with Kimora talking about like the the top model references, and you know, and here it's like like for example, should we be and it's so weird to even say should because who's setting the standard based on what? But like, why would there be an expectation of someone who is 25 knowing who Charles Nelson Riley is? And what is the detriment to not? Because I think the argument is like, oh, this is part of our gay history, gay culture. I think the response to that is, well, for someone who's 25, if you think of their lifetime and the amount of gay culture that lives in just their lifetime, like that is a that is a rich buffet. What exists in there in terms of gay culture this year for many young generations, there's no time for Charles Nelson Riley. And like some people could probably argue it's like, oh, you know, like it's a bit of an antiquated uh, model of, of a gay man. I mean, I, God bless Charles Nelson Riley, but like I'm all for more diverse views of what gay men are like. And so I do think. Sometimes I'm like quick to agree, like, oh yeah, people should know who Charles Nelson Riley is. But then I'm like, why? Like, according to who? But I think that you want several people in the room to give like a good response. And mm-hmm. what I thought stood out about this episode was the fact that everyone was so flummoxed by the question. Even Tina, who gave the best attempt at like having some answers ready. She even flubbed that multiple times. And so I think that I'm fine with like, okay, there's a couple people in the workroom that don't know, but even, you know, even Simone, when she was like describing what is disco was just the most like rudimentary explanation. And I get it. You're put on the spot. I mean, I'm not saying that like none of them knew disco, but I felt like as a viewer, I wanted Tamisha or someone to come in and like, set the record straight that like not all queer people don't know disco. Mm -hmm. And if you were to survey the queer populace from that room alone, from what they showed us, it kind of leaves you with the impression that we have lost the legacy of disco. And that's a dissatisfying beat to like land on. Mm, I get that. Absolutely. That there's the sense of just like what this says is that disco is becoming forgotten. And it's like, 
Yeah, it. I I get that. I think it's it's a it's a tricky situation because it's like the longer time goes on and the more space there is for gay culture and gay music and you know queer whatever queer culture in general, the more room there is for that to expand. It. I almost feel like well, if we took the gay lens off, there's so much. There's so many movies that are forgotten. There's so much music that's forgotten. There's so much art that's forgotten just because the landscape shifted. And so. I'm not saying it's okay, but I think we're also very precious about some of this because of the queer lens, because that's a smaller lens, you know? Yeah, we have to wait for the bit to pass, for them to be outraged and to shame you. It's like, nope, sorry, I don't know who that actor is. And then I have to wait for them to to get upset about it and then tell me who it is. And I have to deal with that. There is something, and again, this is different than Drag Race. I'm talking about off the show. Because on the show, it's like, oh, it's funny when RuPaul kind of does that. But off the show, I, I just don't love that. Where it's like, okay, I don't know who it is. It doesn't mm-hmm. mean that I'm disrespectful. Tell me. Yeah. Yeah. But this makes me think about some of like the older judges on the panel from past seasons. You know, I'm thinking of like Bob Mackey or Cloris, Cloris Leachman. Um, and just the idea that I think it's good sometimes when the show, in addition to like talking about history, includes history, mm-hmm. um, whether it be on the judging panel or in a walk walkthrough within the workroom or whatnot. I think that there is a way that the show can tackle its objective here, which is be a source of education for his history through the queer lens, which they've done, you know, they did it with a Judy Garland, I think last season or something. They've done it several times. I just think there's a smarter way to go about it um, that they have, that there have been shades of in the past, but it's just like, you know, I keep going back. I keep thinking about Kimora's, you know, all the Bob Mackie stuff. And then I'm like reminded, it's like, well, I'm sure a lot of people are like, who's Bob Mackie? And it's like, go back and watch this show from the beginning Mm -hmm. and you can learn who Bob Mackie is. This show is its own history reference quite Mm -hmm. often. And I want more of that. Yeah. I, I I think in the references, like I'm, I'm often surprised at like how obscure some of the references are on the runway. Like when Michelle says to Utica, like you're giving me Mary Hartman, Mary Hartman. I'm like, that is such an obscure reference. But it's so like, but if you actually look it up, it's like, oh God, like <laughs> this is so camp. This is so a great mm. queer reference that we should be able to still make. And so I agree. I think that like, you don't have to take a minute to tell people like, well, you know, Louise Lasser, you know, it's like, you don't have to do all that. You just have to like make the reference and plant the seed, you know? But I, I wonder to that point, it's like, how helpful would it be if we got the visual of Mary Hartman side by side. And this makes me actually, this correlates to a conversation about the fashion, right? And how often we hear, sometimes the queen will say it in their talking while they're down the runway and other times not, but they'll say, I'm referencing, you know, in the case of uh, this Moschino look or whatnot. Mm -hmm. And it's like, show us the Moschino look because I would conjecture that 90% of the audience does not know the reference and it might change the viewer's interpretation to just show us, you know, mm-hmm. again, show us Valerie. Right. No, but I, I, just, I think it could be, yeah, I think it could be really helpful um, rather because I, I do appreciate all these references that get thrown around, especially the obscure ones, but I, I'd love more. I'd love to know that they could be like a little bit, we, we could see a little bit more of the threads of them, not always, but sometimes. And I think especially when it comes to, the designers, especially when they're re- referencing specific runway collections, throw up a Getty image from the runway. Like, show sure, me yeah. what I'm seeing. Yeah. 
That's a good point. Yeah, I think especially the more designers are getting mentioned and the more there are these like fashion references, that is really helpful because I definitely am like, oh, yeah, I, I bet that the show is, is moving. Yeah, yeah, the show is moving and it's been doing this in season seven. It is moving more towards fashion over performance. And I think Utica is a perfect example of that because she's kind of both, but they want more of the fashion, mm -hmm. uh, especially if last week is any kind of inclination. Um, I want to shift because we're talking about disco. I want to talk about uh, – and we're talking about like kind of what this episode is doing and this education because the challenge I think did that. It could have done it better um, if they didn't have to use canned music because uh, obviously they didn't want to spend all of the money for the licensing of all of the disco songs. So they just they just got one. <laughs> well, they got one, and then the rest were just all sound the, the disco style. It's supposed to sound like hot stuff, right? Um, what did y'all think of this challenge? I will say this. Sorry, not. I mean, why? I, I because I just have to get this off my chest. But then I'm going to open up to Evan. Um, I thought it was really strange that they weren't lip syncing, and especially with the first trio when it cuts to Michelle looking puzzled. I thought it was because they weren't lip syncing. I thought, oh, the trio's fucked. So I'll open with that. Is like this whole challenge would have been different if it was a lip sync and dance challenge. I completely agree. I, I I couldn't get over that actually. It was something that kind of it it, it changed my lens of the entire competition. Mm -hmm. I also un couldn't understand the structure of having five pairs, then they all danced together, and then Simone and Lala went, and then they all danced together again. Yeah, it was one of those moments where I was like, "This is just something strange is happening here." I I. I guess I just want more out of my competition because I want to be able to see the competition take place and have a very clear sense in my Evan brain that this is who's on top and this is who's bottom and this is who fucked up and blah, blah, blah. And I walked away from this challenge being like, no one really excelled and no one really bombed. And mm -hmm. that to me is like the worst kind of competition. Mm. And so I just was so middle about it. And I didn't think it really showed off anyone's skill set because I thought the choreography, as I mentioned, even the hardest choreography, I thought the choreography was so rudimentary. Mm -hmm. um, so basically, I guess my understanding is that we were to be judging the looks and then their right. dancing capability. But since yeah. when are we judging looks during a competition? It's like mm -hmm. during, you know, any other acting challenge or whatnot, we're never talking about the looks. So that was that was confounding. They didn't show any sort of like, I think I'm going to wear this or any sort of conflict of like, you know, Tina wearing that look or and they're being like, oh, Tina's and the talking head is like, oh, Tina's wearing that. Like, give us that so that when I watch the challenge, I'm also judging the look because that's the thing. My eye didn't know where to go because at first it was at their faces. And I'm like, what? And then I'm like, oh, this is like Black Swan. Okay, they're not they're not lip syncing. It's just music. Great. But where is RuPaul's like eyeglasses at the ballet? Right. Where mm -hmm. is that? And then I was like, okay, I'm watching the dance movements, and it went all went by way too quickly because there was only 16 bars each, and then uh, and the, you know they were going back and forth between whatever, and and they were narrating a story that the, they were trying to do so much to educate, which I think was good, but the Queens were second. They were just second in command when it came to this challenge. And that's why I don't think it worked for me because like you're saying, Evan, like I wanted to see somebody just be like, wow. And we didn't get, well, I did get that from one queen, but uh, she wasn't featured. Oh, at all. And that was La La Ree. La La Ree was so good in this mm. challenge. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
I I did enjoy Lala and Simone's section the most. I think in terms of the songs, the the disco and sex song, the Everybody Say Love song was was the best of the fake songs. And so that kind of elevated that just because it was a better song. Sure. But I feel like Lala and Simone, I was like, oh, like I, I didn't mind that they weren't lip syncing. It was such a stark difference from the first group to them. And maybe it was because by then I was used to it, but like they brought the energy in the same way, like the black swan, you know, challenge. It was about bringing the energy. And I, th- yeah, it just, I wonder what it would have been like if they did like a disco themed musical, you know, and it involved a lot of dancing and involved, you know, kind of a lot of referential music, but it wouldn't be the same kind of like, I'm going to give you a history lesson, but I think it would have, you have such a fun topic like disco and then you do like the Ken Burns version of it. And it's just like, well, why couldn't we like loosen up a little, you know? And also there was not really like, if you were not a good dancer, there were very few ways to excel at this challenge because you couldn't do, you couldn't be lip syncing. Cause I feel like mm-hmm. oftentimes you can get away with a subpar lip sync by just really, you know, putting the song in your face mm-hmm. and they didn't have an opportunity. So again, therefore it's kind of like, if I'm not a good dancer and I'm not, and so I guess I just, I bring my look and I show off my great look and that clearly worked for some of the Queens in this competition in this particular one. Um, but yeah, it just felt really dissatisfying. And also, sorry, small note, but why do we have to do paired competitions with an uneven number of Queens? Mm. Why can't we just wait a week so that it's all twos? I just don't, I, and this is always a thing on Drag Race where it's like, I just feel like the group with three is always at either a, a big advantage or a disadvantage, but never in between. Mm. Cause it's like, they always get the edit of like, we had that third person that really sunk us. Um, and so I, I guess I just don't, I, I like things to be even, uh, and I just wish it was pairs of two because it made it hard to focus on the, even the edit, as you mentioned, mm-hmm. Johnny, it's 16 counts. You've got three Queens. I just felt like I didn't even see got Mick in this competition. Like, Same. Yeah. Yeah. I, I completely forgot. I was like, I, you know, I, until the runway, I was like, <laughs> Oh, right. You were in this. Right. Yeah. I, I feel like the trio is meant to be like whenever it happens in other challenges, it's like, oh man, there's more moving parts. Like it's either going to be like, it's always like a setup for something that never really pans out. Like the trio in this group, did they like bomb completely? No, but like, did they have like, you know, more star power? Cause there's more of them on stage. No, they were also first and being first is it's easy to hide first um, or to highlight it, right? But mm-hmm. I feel like more often than not, it's hidden. Um, you could give them bad points for like, ah, you didn't really start it very well. But it's so forgettable by the end of it that, you know, it's just hidden, that the three are hidden. So um, I think it's notable, sorry, real quick though, but no, with go for them, I, I do think it's notable the fact that I thought there would be more of an effort in the edit to make Candy look bad, mm-hmm. to justify her being in the bottom. And when I went back and watched it, she she doesn't seem, she's not, I mean, she's certainly, she's fine. She doesn't yeah. do anything that warrants her being in the bottom. And especially, and sorry to jump ahead, but I think she had a really stellar runway. Oh, totally. I, I just was confused because I always try to think in my brain, if I don't see it, what is the show trying to, to tell me mm-hmm. that yep. perhaps I'm missing? I want to give them the benefit of the doubt. Mm-hmm. And that didn't seem evident at all. There was no her being off her mark. And so the criticism again became her, her look, which again, I didn't notice her look. I didn't know I was supposed to notice her look. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I just, I always assume in these, in these challenges, the look is just something to perform in. Yeah. 
Right. Yeah, you know, Evan, I, I only noticed it once with the Michelle look of uh, with Candy, and that was the only time. When they were critiquing her, they're like, oh, you're doing this ghetto thing. And it's like, I didn't see that. So they should have mm. showed that to help the narrative. But again, this challenge, they wanted to do so much. And then at the end of it all, they lost it. But with that, let's segue into the runways. Uh, but before we talk about the runways, we actually need to take a little break. You know what I love? What's that, Mary? I love therapy. Oh, you love her. Love her and need her. Can't get enough of her, which is why we love BetterHelp. That's H-E-L-P. BetterHelp connects you with a licensed professional therapist safely and privately. You can be matched with someone within 24 hours. Tinder wishes. And with phone or video sessions available, scheduling a session is as easy as ordering a pizza. And I do love pizza. I also love that you can send a message to your counselor at any time and actually get a response. And if you want to change counselors, no problem. It's both free and easy. BetterHelp is available worldwide, and their counselors are licensed and trained in everything from depression and anxiety to grief, relationships, sleep, self-esteem, and more. There are so many people using BetterHelp right now. They've recruited more counselors in all 50 states. It's more affordable than traditional in-person talk therapy, and there's even financial aid available if you need. Marys, if you're interested in trying BetterHelp, get 10% off your first month by going to betterhelp.com slash allrightmary, and that's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. That's right. Join over 1 million people taking charge of their mental health. That's betterhelp.com slash allrightmary. And again, that's H-E-L-P. All right, Evan, the runways. Finally, we have somebody that understands fashion. Colin is just like the worst. Oh, so. I'm just sitting here in a tablecloth and a microphone hoping for the best. <laughs> Um, so did you stone those tights? I, um, I, I want to talk about the runways. Um, we just talked about, uh, candy a little bit. So let's talk about candy's look. So this is, so I, the only reason I know the reference of come to Garcon is not just because of Aja, but because of the musical, um, American psycho. Um, there's one song sung by like all the wives and, uh, they reference all of these different, you know, uh, something balonic, right? Is it, uh, is that a designer? Um, anyway, so, and come to Garcon is one of the, one of the designers in it. But so talk about Katie's runway. I thought her makeup was gorgeous. I just thought she looked so good. It was my favorite kind of drag because it was an uncomplicated garment that looked really cohesive. That was the kind of thing that I felt like a person with like, I mean, I'm not saying a person with no skills, but you, you the three of us, if given those materials, could fashion that garment in some way. It's mm -hmm. like that was a garment that it didn't, it didn't look cheap or expensive. It looked creative, you know, which is like my favorite. It's like, I, I wasn't even thinking about the cost, which I think is, is a big component to it. And it felt draggy, right? Cause I don't know if she said this on the show, she might've, but so the print that was on it was actually the dress that princess Diana wore immediately following her divorce. Yeah. The revenge, it was like her, one revenge of her first, dress. Yeah. Yes, exactly. So it's like you had a reference on top of a reference. What's more drag than that. Um, but I just appreciated how cohesive it was. And I was really surprised that it's like, I thought for sure she would be given in contention for top three at the very least. Mm -hmm. um, I thought it was just really, really excellent. And I thought in a sea of like, 
really subpar runways this week, and I'm going to be as generous as possible. <laughs> I thought these runways were distinctly some of the worst we've had. Um, I was just really surprised to see Candy. I thought the only thing I could clock her for, as Carson did, was the oil paint around the neck was giving me beard a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's such an easy fix. And that to me is not something that to me is like, hey, maybe next time don't do this. That to me is like, yeah. Right. But it was like an interesting choice. It was a different choice where there's a lot of other looks this week where it was like, Oof. I mean, I mean, bringing me back to season two again. Like it, I always think of like the um, the country Western, you know, runway when they're all just wearing plaid shirts and, and denim jeans and boots. And I was like, that was a different time in drag race when you could just you know, wear your Buffalo Wild Wings look and be safe, if not win. And that's kind of what this felt like. I was like, oh, this is like a this is like a a night out in Astoria, you know, like that's what some of these. And I am saying that as a resident. This is not a night out in Manhattan. This is a night out in Queens. Mary, we're we're looking at the girls bathroom line at the Hunkabunka. Okay. yes. Yes. Uh, it's just in Lodi, New Jersey. <laughs> exactly. At the crossing crossroads hotel. Um, I, so what I was excited for was, Oh, we have this basic runway challenge of little black dress. And I was like, Oh, what are they going to do with little black dress? And so, you know, yeah. you get, you get, um, uh, candy and it's like, okay, they're going to do this. Yeah, that's great. You get got Mick and I'm like, that's fucking brilliant on so many levels. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And then there's Tina's there's Elliot's there's sorry, Tamisha's sorry. There's Olivia's there's sorry, Rose's, you know, and you're just kind of like, Oh my God, I like this. It felt like the Madonna runway where it was like, well, we didn't mean little black dress. Right. <laughs> you missed the, the the quotes next to little and dress. Like this was meant to be an idea. Yeah. And there were so many looks like I'm trying to imagine, like, let's talk about Elliot's briefly. Cause sure. it just was as mentioned on the show, just really unremarkable. I'm just trying to imagine like you're getting ready to go on drag race and you see that dress and it's like, what about that to you did you think was gag worthy? You know, because there's sometimes mm-hmm. I'm like, I didn't like this thing, but I get I get what you saw or I get what other people saw. And there were so many instances on this runway in particular where I was like, it felt like you weren't you weren't into it. And so therefore I definitely wasn't gonna be. But it just was like I, I again with going back to Got Mick, I think we do have I mean, we have to talk about that. Mm. Just so creative, so smart, especially coming from a queen who a lot of the feedback from the fandom has been like just a lot of fashion and nothing else. This to me was like, I'll give you fashion, but I'll subvert your idea that all I have is like these expensive things a la a Gigi good. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I think that was really incredible, but there was just so many people that didn't, Mick, Gottmik and, and maybe Candy were the only two that like took the the category and and tried something with it. Everybody else gave black dress and people weren't even adhering, oh, I guess Lala adhered to the little part, but it just, yeah. they just didn't feel like there was a lot of adherence to the challenge, which could be a flaw with the category, right? I think that's worth maybe yeah. examining the fact that if you get this many duds, maybe you ask yourself, okay, maybe we didn't, maybe we didn't nail the category. Right, yeah. right. Yeah, it's I mean, it, it's it's interesting as like a starting point. And I think that like the idea of like we talked about this maybe on the unpopular opinions last week. But, you know, when they were talking about some of the looks last week in the bags ball and like some of these look looks, you know, seem like they were department store looks or right off the rack. 
I thought, wouldn't it be interesting to have a challenge where you have to take this, you know, this Bloomingdale's, you know, three piece outfit and turn it into drag. And I think this was kind of the same thing as take the little black dress and turn it into drag. And to be fair, Candy and Got Mick were probably the only ones who really did that. I, and Utica. I got oh, and Utica. No, I'll give it to Utica. Regardless of success, Utica had a concept that was well beyond just the actual little black dress. I'm my earrings. <laughs> I'm my earrings. Yeah. I mean, she looked like just kind of a, like a, you know, sort of how they have the, the early versions of like the Apple computers with the green screens and the, and the, and the green and the black. Like she was like an early prototype of a Stepford wife that's just like stored in a basement. Uh, like yeah. I loved it. I, but weren't I, you was, also – go ahead. Sorry. Well, I mean it was kind of creepy and kind of fucked up, but I also <laughs> still loved it. Yeah. Weren't you also getting Naomi Smalls with that hair? I was just and like her mm. her shape. I just mm-hmm. was getting that too. Anyway, I I I had to add Utica to this conversation about well, they did something draggy. I do want to shift the conversation to hear Evan. You talk about Olivia Lux. Hmm. Because <laughs> um, she I'll won. Say, she yeah. won for the challenge, which you know is is one thing. And they also praised the hell out of this hair, uh, which is done by Madeline Hatter, which I think is worth seeing. Yeah. And, and it's worth noting, um, first of all, social media seems to really, really love Olivia Lux. I feel mm. like that's been, there's been a groundswell and, and it definitely feel like, felt like it, it grew this week because there was something to sort of hang your hat on. Um, all that hair. Um, <laughs> I will say, uh, I worked time with her before I can really form an opinion. I guess just speaking to the challenge, it was so mediocre. Um, not the performance, I'm talking about the runway. The The performance was good. It was, she is so beautiful. Mm-hmm. And she was smiling the whole time with that mm-hmm. big hair. So it's hard not to love it. Like if, if anything, it's like, I couldn't take my eyes off of her because she just is a combination of beautiful and just there was, it was just beautiful from the neck up, right? Um, and she was really one of the only people having fun in the challenge. So I definitely can understand why she was in the top. I'm saying that out loud. I'm not sure I totally believe myself when I say that. Mm. Um, but I just, what I am confused about with her and this also with Tina with regards to putting them in the top three and then not critiquing the look at all Mm. Um, it, it was, I I think they made a small critique on Tina, but it was like one of those things where the look was so obviously amateur. So the kind of thing that Michelle would call any other queen out, you know, cause it was akin yeah. to just, you know, you're wearing a bodysuit only this was like a little dress. And it was just, it just was one of those moments where it just felt like, why are we not saying the obvious thing? And, and, and yeah. so that that that's my difficult thing with it. But I, I also recognize the fact that she has a lot that we haven't seen on the show. And I do think it's worth noting that there were several episodes that have just been kind of without Olivia. Mm, like, yeah. And I think the show's had a, this season has had a really hard time balancing the queen's time on the show. And Definitely. so I enjoyed the fact that we got more time with Olivia, but I'm not sure if between her moment in, in the workroom talking about her weight loss journey and then this i'm not sure if it left me uh wanting more from olivia is that diplomatic i think yeah that, that's yeah super diplomatic and i and i don't disagree i think that like 
I definitely thought when she came out on the runway, I thought, oh, okay, I think they're probably going to say that this that this dress is a little simple and, you know, needed to maybe elevate it. But, you know, she does look great and she has beautiful hair. And, and I thought it would be, you know, the critique would be something like, Olivia, you look beautiful. The hair, the makeup, the dress. Like, I assumed that kind of cadence of of critiques and the I fact think that happened and they edited it out well, i was gonna say we probably it probably did happen but we didn't see that because yeah. then they couldn't really justify this win right um, right which also begs the question because i hear you like watching the challenge did did it look like olivia was having fun yeah did she nail all the choreography sure was that hair great sure but like i don't I, if i was looking at the performance was she the most exciting performer no. And I think And on top I, of that, the most exciting performer, Lala, was not even in the top three. She wasn't right. even in contention. Yeah. Right. And I don't think her dress was that her, I don't think her look was that different from Olivia's. I mean, Olivia exactly. had a beautiful illusion overall, but like I well, think you could say the same thing about both of their dresses, you know? So here's my question about a little black dress, Evan, because I know that's like a fashion term. I've heard it on Project Runway. Um <laughs> uh is is the point of a little black dress to rock something simple, but make it look elevated? Like, did Olivia complete this challenge by not having something very interesting mm -hmm. on her body, but she sold the fuck out of it because of her hair and her and her face? So this is what's interesting. So the term little black dress is really more of an editorial term, like a magazine term. And basically what it's trying to say is, your body is so amazing that we can just wrap black fabric around it and it will look amazing. I think mm -hmm. it really became popularized in the late 80s and the early 90s. I think like early Sex in the City was kind of like where it started to die. But basically what I'm trying to say with that is little black dress has nothing to do with the dress and everything to do with the body. Mm, you know, oh, Hervé Léger really brought it into popularity. So when we say little black dress, it's more like, we want the dress to be so inconsequential because your body is what what is what we're trying to sell here. The dress is merely covering up everything that needs to be covered up. Wow. Well, I guess in that oh. case, then Olivia did succeed. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, and that, and that, that, that definition did win. Yeah. But this just goes to show you there was such a missed opportunity here, which is like, give me crazy padding. Yeah that then mm. this little black dress is forced to cover. It's like, that's something too that I found was missing across the board with these runways. It's like, I just miss runways that make me laugh my ass off mm. as we had so many of uh, on UK yep. recently, but also this whole season, which is just like, and I'm not, I, sometimes it can be gorgeous. I get it. I like gorgeous drag, but I also just like silly drag and like no one besides Got Mick and even Got Mick's was really it was really clever and creative but I, I wanted 20 of those you know it's like mm -hmm. i just wanted someone to take this concept and do something off the wall with it and i thought padding was the way to go with it and you know we saw what we saw yeah yeah that's, I, a, that's a good point you know got mick it, i mean now that i know about the little black dress i think got mick's look is even more interesting to me and we're not even we're not even scratching the surface about the iconic nature of like the trans lens to look at through this dress, which I think is just worth just saying. Um, but uh, I, I feel very educated, Evan, more so educated on this than um, disco. So I appreciate it. Yeah, can, can I say this though? I do wonder, I'd be so curious, had we gotten Dieter Ritz in season four, walking down the runway in this look, if it would not have been 
critiqued with more scrutiny. I, I just, and I'm not saying mm. that there's a there there necessarily, but I am curious, especially in the early days, if this would not have been more, mm. well, we love the concept, but it's so simple. I feel like there, I, I could have invited more conversation to ask the question of, yes, we love it. Was it too simple? I don't think it was. I think it totally sucked the landing, right. but I think there's opportunity to sort of have that conversation about, just the way in which I think fashion queens get away with quite a lot things that other queens don't necessarily get away with. Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Valentina, right? For sure. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think a fashion queen, it's interesting. A fashion queen, I think there's more ways to get get away or get further along in the competition with some of these tricks. Whereas I think some of these like comedy queens, authority kind of queen where it's like, so like when a fashion queen sticks to just being a fashion queen, they love it, but it's like every once in a while, cry for us on stage. Whereas like a comedy queen, it's like, okay, we get it, you're funny. Would you just be a fashion queen already? Like yep. it it does feel like, you know, if they had their choice, they'd choose fashion over comedy. Mm-hmm. And which is different than the UK, but we'll get to that in another discussion. Um, folks, are is there anything else on this episode that you want to cover before we kind of talk about uh, some meta ideas about the BSA and the pizza queen and um, maybe some storylines that are emerging. Any, any other things to tie up? Can I ask you guys a question real quick as, as mm-hmm. a, as a listener of the podcast that I'm very curious about in terms of who, who the goosiness of Utica, mm. you know, I've heard you guys speak a lot about the goose and, and all of that within Lala. And I, obviously I definitely see that. I haven't heard you, I don't think, use it about Utica, but she's clearly giving what I think is goosey energy. <laughs> and so yeah. I'm curious what your thoughts are around Utica and that specific energy that she's she's given off. Are you buying it? Are you do you see the goose in her? Can I go first, Colin? Yes, yes, you can. Because I think your answer is probably better than mine, which is why I want to say best for last. So for me, for me with Utica, I I think Utica is bringing a lot more than just goosiness. And, and, and I mean, last week, I mean, she, we just queened out about how goosey she was as this crazy art teacher who works at the Rainforest Cafe and sleeps on the school bus, right? Mm-hmm. So, like, there is that goosiness, but there is so much more going on um, that I, I'm, I don't want to just talk about her goosiness. With Lala, Really, that's all I'm seeing right now is how much I fucking love her and her energy. And uh, this challenge is the exception, but otherwise, you know, Lala's been meh or not so good in the in in this season. Um, if last episode was anything, right? I mean, she killed that lip sync, and I was happy about it. So that's where I'm at with like the difference of goosiness. They both have goosiness. Yeah, I mean, I I definitely picked up on, you know, I, I heard the honk early on from from Utica, you know, and I was like, oh, yeah, I I hear you. I hear you coming. Um, I hear you knocking. And I it's definitely there. I agree with Johnny. I think that there is something more that's coming through that I feel like I'm. I'm intrigued by, like, I think it's like there's I, I think the runways are a great representation of this because let's look at last week. The first two looks and the presentation, you know, the faces and all that, classic goose, honk, 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 up and down the runway. Love it. Then she comes out in that third look and it's like she's giving you, you know, the fashion moment. She's giving you like a Sharon Needles energy in the face. Like she's just giving so much else. And it's like, oh, 
well, you know, what pond did you swim in from? You know, and it's like now I'm in the swamp. Now I'm, you know, you know, now I'm in the Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And so um, I'm in Lake Huron, girl. And so I Lake Tahoe. What you call me? Go ahead. (laughs) Anyway, um, I mean, it's eerie, really. And so (laughs) you're on to something. You're on to something. Um, there's no Michigan, there's no Michigan pun. Um, but anyway, I, uh, and you know, the reason, the only reason I could play that game is because I learned homes in school when I was a kid here on Ontario, Michigan, Erie superior. Okay. Sorry. Just thought I'd to doing a little Mrs. Amon, you know, on my way out, uh, educating the kids. So I, whereas Lala, Lala for me, which is a nice, maybe, you know, transition slice tangent, um, is like, commentator gold and commentator and goose can overlap but i feel like i'm having more fun with lala and i'm more like intrigued by utica if that makes sense so it's there but then it's like yeah but there's something else there too that i'm trying to figure out Mm. so that's my take on that um i I think in terms what's that i was gonna say bsa I, oh I was well, trying to to justify the silence. Go ahead. Oh well, I just figured I had wowed everybody. That a moment of silence was was worth it. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And so I realized I made a great point. We all want to think about it. So <laughs> before I name our BSA and our pizza queen and all that, I do want to just I think the lip sync is is worth thirty seconds of airtime. I I think they both did a great job. Uh, there were moments where I was like, Tamisha is giving me, like I was with Lala. I was like, I feel like I'm getting just like an old school, like l- performance. I felt like I was at one of those Miss Continentals. I was like, Oh, I love this. And and I was intrigued by it when it would, when it would focus on her at points, I was like, Oh yeah, I'm totally in Tamisha's performance. But you know, then, uh, then we got that, you know, and, and to lead us into BSA, we got that BSA candy muse, you know, just getting messy and getting getting upset and then carrying it into, you know, crying and hugging Tamisha. I was like, I love this shit. Like beyond mm. the competition, beyond who won the lip sync, the reality TV show of Drag Race, Candy Muse is giving me an amazing couple of minutes of television, you know? There, so, you know, that, that lip sync, she did that like that thing that happens at the end of a song where you want them to see just kind of to quote unquote, go ham in a different way where she's like literally screaming, but she's mouthing it. She's lip syncing mm-hmm. a scream, um, which I love. And there's the tears down her eyes looking the way she did. There was so much about her lip sync visually. I think both of them were kind of fucking up the words, which bothered me because I know every single beat of that song. Um, so I was a little distracted by whenever they cut to Tamisha and she just didn't know the words. And I'm like, okay, my, my Mrs. Amon's going home. Uh, mm. she, you know, she just didn't know the song. The other thing I noticed about Tamisha is that her eyes aren't as into the song as her mouth. There were moments towards the end where I felt like, oh, I, she's, yeah. She she seemed like she wasn't in the moment as much as Candy was like neck deep in the moment. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I also think like I am a huge, huge Candy fan. I haven't for a long, long time. And I think this was one of the first moments where the Candy that I know and love from watching her perform for so many years got to really shine on the platform that is Drag Race. Mm-hmm. Up until now, and I'm not saying she hasn't had moments that I think she's really excelled at there's been a number of them but this was kind of like candy in her element doing the things she does well unabashedly high energy and Mm. 
it's nice that I feel like a lot of the people that have something to say about Candy, both good and bad, only are judging this person and their drag from these couple of episodes of television. And it just is kind of a reminder that even the drag that you see on this, you know, hour and a half long program once a week, that's not even the full capacity of that individual queen's drag all the time. Mm -hmm. You're seeing um, that how they act with cameras up and with the pressure of the competition and with clothing that they would never wear in their everyday drag because they could never afford it that they saved up for or were given. There's all these factors I don't know if we necessarily always take into account. And that was one of those moments where I was like, this is just the candy I love. She doesn't need all the bells and the whistles. She is just a dynamite performer. And I'm glad that she mm. was given that that moment on the show. Mm. Yeah, I, 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 having not really known Candy Muse before this, I felt like this was the strongest I'd seen her yet this season. No question. No question. BSA, Candy Muse. Um, I think we're about, it's about that time where we're going to move our conversation onto unpopular opinions. Um, but before we go there, Evan, where can, where can our Marys find you? You can find me on socials um, at Evan Ross Katz. I'm trying to take a little bit of a hiatus from socials at the moment. So it's funny timing. So Hopefully you'll see less of me and I don't cave in this time, but just for mental health reasons, trying to live a bit more in the real world uh, at the moment. Um, and then can I plug my book? Yes. Oh my God, please. Um, and then I'm working on um, a book coming out in 2022. Um, it's uh, ahead of the 25th anniversary of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. I have interviews with the entire original cast, um, including the majority of the entire cast throughout the show's entire run. Um, I have interviews with random people throughout the show that you want to hear from, like mm. Bianca Lawson as Kendra. Um, I have interviews with the cast and creative team, Stacey Abrams, Trixie Mattel, Zach Posen, wow. um, just a number of super fans of the show. If you are a fan of Buffy the Vampire Slayer, obviously, I think, or not obviously, I hope you will enjoy the book. But if you are not a fan of Buffy, it's also just kind of looking at the, the lens of Buffy 25 years later, how Buffy dealt with race, how Buffy dealt with gender, sexuality, economics. It's kind of examining this show that happened at a very specific time culturally. This is 1997 to 2003 and sort of how it holds up and how it doesn't. And, and for instance, like getting to talk to Sarah Michelle Gellar and James Marster is about a scene involving sexual assault between their characters and having them reflect on it post the Me Too era conversations like that I think are meaningful to people that have never seen a single episode of the show. So it's both a inside baseball and to someone who just likes the hot dogs that they serve at the stadium. Oh, I love hot dogs. Um, <laughs> I mean, I heard the rest of it, but like, listen, you mentioned hot dogs and, and yeah, you've got yeah. a, you've got a, a pre-sale already on your hands. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Well, Mary's, uh, definitely go follow Evan. If you have any thoughts on this episode, you could reach out to us on Twitter at All Right Mary. You can find us on the web at www.allrightmary.com or allrightmary.com slash tasteofreality.com slash allright-mary. Or you can find me on Instagram at Johnny Also or on Twitter at Johnny Also One. And of course, you can hear more of me on my other podcasts in the details, a celebration of nuance or best supporting podcasts, a celebration of best supporting actresses. You can find me on Twitter at Colin Drucker, Instagram at Colin Drucker underscore. And uh, of course, you can get more of both of us, including our 
Drag Race UK Season 2 recaps at our $5 level and our Unpopular Opinions episode, which Evan will be joining us for this week, at our $10 level at patreon.com slash allrightmary. I love it. You know, this episode obviously is all about disco. I know Colin loves ABBA. Many people love ABBA. I love ABBA. So we decided our last chance lip sync this week is going to be Gimme Gimme by ABBA because I think I think we wanted a little bit more in general. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, gimme gimme. gimme. And I can't gimme. think of a pun for this episode and Chiquitita. So I think let's go with that. Yeah. But I do love Chiquitita for the record. And I love pizza. And I love pizza. Just like Selena. <laughs> All right, Marys. We will see you next time. Thank you, Evan, for joining us. Uh, and thank you, Marys, for listening. Tot scenes. <laughs>